0: Um, I want to start this morning with a question. We're going to kind of dive right in. What do you want? And I don't, as some of you immediately popped into your head a new car, I want a house, I want a job, and those are all valid things to want. But what do you want? Some of us are in a position where we are so weighed down by anxiety or depression or addiction that we we don't even pray we're just crying and what we want is out from under that oppression and and some of us you know it, it's, it's we need a job we've moved out and we're in this and we're like lord what's next i feel free but but well, what do i do i need a job I'd love to get married, I'm going off into this mission, I've got this ministry, I, I need all these things. What I really want is for you to provide what I need right now and figure out this life of mine. And, and we feel like we're kind of stuck in this cycle of just looping. And some of us have, have gotten freedom and we, we've gotten the, the house and the family and the job and, and the American dream. And now we're under the weight of this responsibility. And what we want is to know we're enough, that we're not going to crush under the weight of it. We've gotten what we've wanted, but it, it feels like it might be too much. So what we want is you to fill us with your spirit, your power, your strength, that we can handle the weight. So, I want you to keep that question in mind as we walk through this. What do you want? Because what we're going to talk this morning about is God is our provider through the lens of the Exodus. It's that epic story that that scripture really repeats over and over and over. That the story of Exodus is one of those core archetypal stories where God delivers his people. And they wander through the wilderness, and then they get to the promised land. So we're going to look at God as our provider through that lens. Best way to understand, and this is from what Ryan said last week as he started out our series, the best way to understand the Israelites that walked through the wilderness is to treat them as they were. Products of an Egyptian culture. They had been there for 400 years. There's no no way it hadn't impacted them and gotten into their thinking and how their families ran and how they went through life. And God calls them out out of Egypt and set about restoring them to what they were called to be from the very beginning, and that is his people. You see, they had been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. Within a matter of months, Moses arrived, God moved, and they were delivered only to walk into the wilderness. They had to learn what it meant to be God's people and how he provides, how he would sustain them. And as Ryan said last week, this process of learning and getting the Egypt out of them, it didn't happen overnight it wasn't an easy process. Probably getting them out of Egypt was much easier than getting the Egypt out of them. And how many of us, God has delivered us out of a situation, out of a, maybe a, a rough family that we grew up in and, and changed our thinking and got us out of that, and, but that's still in us. And we need to get it out of us whether it's our American culture or whatever our family culture was, we need to get that wrong thinking out of us. We're going to look at three snapshots of the, the Israelites as they go through this process of learning how God is their provider. They were slaves. They, they started out, as, as Ryan went over, we're going to, we're going to repeat the story a couple times because it's so huge, um, they were slaves, but what happened was remember Joseph and and they went to Egypt to get food, and Joseph was pharaoh's right hand man, so he brings all his family back into Egypt, and they settle there and there are about seventy of them at the beginning of the book of Exodus, but they grew, and they by the end they but when they were delivered out of Egypt and went into the desert, there was probably Two and a half million of them. And over this time, they became slaves. How did that happen? We're not 100 percent sure, but what it looked like is that Pharaoh started to panic, because this group of people that started at 70 were flourishing. See, they were still God's people, even though they were in Egypt, and they started flourishing, and there was more of them, and they became fruitful and they multiplied. And he got scared that they were going to become enemies or align with an enemy and take over. This was a new pharaoh, forgot about Joseph. This pharaoh didn't know Joseph. So eventually what he does is he makes them slaves. So actually, it was almost like within their own country, pharaoh came in and said, okay, you are no longer just people in our country. You are now our slaves and made them slaves, almost like prisoners of war. And they became the lowest of the low. But they still were fruitful and multiplied. So he asked the midwives when the babies are born, kill all the male babies. But the midwives wouldn't do it. They said, These Jewish women are so good at giving birth, they go so fast. By the time we get there, the baby's born, and we can't do it. So Pharaoh then said, Every baby boy gets killed. And things became harder and harder and harder for them. There was no end in sight and no way to get out from under this. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. This is the king of Egypt um, who was king while Moses was growing up. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning and remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. In Egypt, the people had to get the gods' attention. They had to perform rituals and prayers and magic. And they had to make sure they weren't mad at them. And they had to say, okay, we're going to give you this. Please don't be mad at us. Please give us rain. Please, please take care of us. It was an intricate polytheistic system. There were gods for everything. It was very complicated. And only the pharaoh and his queen and the priests and priestesses were allowed into the temple. So no one was allowed near the gods in Egypt. But let's look at this again. Do you notice they did not cry out to God? It doesn't say they cried out to God. But he heard them. And he remembered His promise, and he looked and he was concerned for them. That word for concern means to intimately know them. They didn't have to jump up and down to get the God's attention. They didn't have to do magic and rituals and figure out which God to go to. Their God, Jehovah, saw them, heard them, looked at them, and was compassionate for them. God didn't provide deliverance because of anything they had done. He was already working on their behalf. God simply loved his people, had compassion on them, and was faithful to the promises he had made hundreds of years ago to their forefathers. So what about us? They had to unlearn the fact that they had to get God's attention They had to get it all right. They had to ask for help in the right way, get the right formula, and realize that God loved them as they were, that he was going to swoop in, and he was going to deliver them simply because he loved them. What about us? What do we carry? Our culture believes God helps those who help themselves, which is not in the Bible, by the way. Some of those surveys, you wouldn't believe how many people think it is. And mind over matter works. And if you're stuck or bound in your circumstances, you must not be trying hard enough. God wants us to know He knows our circumstances, and His provision is about His love for us and His grace. We don't have to earn it, sometimes we don't even need to pray. We cry out, and he hears that cry, and he said, Oh, I love that one. Let me go down and look and see what's going on here. Let me care for that person. Do you know when this happened, when God looked and remembered and heard them? Moses had already been born. He had already grown up in the Egyptian royal house. He had already murdered someone and had to run and was out in the desert learning how to live in the desert and shepherd flocks. God had already moved on their behalf before this cry even goes up. So let me tell you something. What do you want? God is providing deliverance. He's already worked it out and working it out. He already sent a savior who defeated depression and defeated death and defeated anxiety and defeated addiction. He already defeated it, and he is out moving pieces to bring your deliverance. He's already providing that for you. That's the kind of God we serve. Let's look at snapshot number two. So, He delivers them. He takes them through the Red Sea on dry land. He gets them away from the Egyptians. The Egyptians go in and they're all drowned. Israel gets away. And where do they go? Whoa, we're delivered. Moses got us out. Here we go. Two and a half million of us, plus some Egyptians that went along into the wilderness. I don't know about you. But how many times has God delivered us from a situation and, and then we're, now we feel like we're in the wilderness? We feel lost and scared and we don't know what to do because everything's so unfamiliar and we start wandering. But why the wilderness? Why did God take them into the wilderness? Why not take them right into the promised land? Because that's what I want. That's what I signed up for. Why? Seven times he tells Pharaoh, let my people go so that they may worship me. God said, tells Moses, go tell Pharaoh, let my people go so they may worship me. He said it seven times. They had to learn to worship. And guess what? One day into the wilderness, one day they're grumbling and complaining because there's no water. Now I get it. I get the fact they needed water. But within a few days, they're grumbling and complaining, wait a second, you all have been slaves for 400 years. God takes you through the Red Sea, but you get out in this wilderness and you're like, I'm thirsty. Why did Moses bring me out here? You see, in Egypt, they had this system. They had all kinds of irrigation off the Nile in this system, that they had water readily available. And then a month in, we're complaining about food. They had brought food with them. But about month in, it starts to wear out or run out. And they don't have food anymore. Here's what they say. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around, pots of meat, and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Sounds like some kids, don't you think? You take them on vacation. They're like, I should have stayed home. You brought us out here and there's no snacks. But they forgot. There's some reframing going on here. They are re-remembering what really happened. Slaves were the low man in the hierarchy. Now, they did get food. But they were thought as subhuman they had no rights, no say. They were crying out under the burden of the work. In the culture of Egypt, order and harmony were held as the highest value, and part of that was the abundance of food and its distribution. Egypt had it easy. It was really good, to grow easy to grow food there. They had water available. It all worked. They were used to looking to the hierarchy the system for their provision, which ultimately came from Pharaoh. Because of sophisticated irrigation systems in the Nile, they didn't have to worry about water. Because of the fertility of the land around the Nile, they didn't have to worry about food. They were oppressed, overworked, and seen as subhuman. But they were well-fed. Freedom in the wilderness felt unorganized and scary and unsustainable. You know, it reminded me a bit. I, I do some um, work with Araminta, which is the um, ministry with sex trafficking. And, w- and when it helps um, young women, especially out of sex trafficking, I think the statistics they go back five or six times before they actually come out to live in freedom. Why do they keep going back? Because freedom feels unfamiliar and scary, and, and they don't know what to do with it. Their present anxiety, this is Walter Brueggemann's a um, scholar on Old Testament, present anxiety distorts the memory of the recent past. The seductive distortion of Israel is that given anxiety about survival, the immediacy of food overrides any long-term hope of freedom and well-being. Israel's not reprimanded in this narrative for its anxious concern, but receives an immediate positive response. How kind of the Lord. He delivers them. He puts them in this wilderness to learn how he provides. And so when they start to panic because it feels scary and unfamiliar and not like anything they've experienced before as a people out of slavery, he doesn't get mad at them. He starts showing them, wait, 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 don't worry about it. I'm trustworthy. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. That test there is actually not like he's waiting for them to make a mistake. It's more a practice of learning how to trust him. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days for the Sabbath. So Moses and Aaron said to the Israelites, in the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against him. Wait a second. Not only, he doesn't get mad. He rains down uh, bread from heaven for them, but he's going to show them his glory? Then Moses told Aaron, say to the entire Israelite community, come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you'll be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. God doesn't get mad at them. They're just learning how to trust Him. They're learning what freedom looks like, they're learning what He's like. He doesn't get mad, He provides for them. Not only bread, but quail at night and His presence. He hears their grumbling and goes beyond giving them food. He gives them himself. God isn't begrudging or angry in his provision. He wants them to know that it isn't the system that's providing for them. It isn't the leaders that are providing for them. Did you notice they got mad at Moses and Aaron? Why? Because when the the system they came from, they were given food by whoever was above them. Ultimately, Pharaoh. Pharaoh. And God's saying, no, 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 this is not about Moses and Aaron, this is about me. He wants them to see this in the morning and in the evening. He does a miracle again, but it isn't the big splash of the plagues or the party in the Red Sea. This is one that is daily and intimate and happens over 40 years. God provides sustenance and his presence on a daily basis because they need to learn it isn't about the leaders or the technology or geography. Learning about his provision means learning to know him, to know that he is near, he is trustworthy, and he is present. He parts the Red Sea. He does really big miracles. And, and there are times when we need really big miracles. And God releases us out of freedom. And, and there are events like that in our lives. But there's time where the bigger miracle, to me sometimes, is the one that happens over 40 years. To me, the bigger miracle sometimes is is the person who had a miscarriage and they get up the next morning. Or somebody who lost someone dear to them and they get up the next morning. Or somebody dealing with anxiety who goes to work. Every morning, God is there to provide for them. It's the person that's facing down cancer and gets up and goes and gets the chemo. And God is with them, providing the manna and the quail and his presence through the entire wandering and process. Sometimes, to me, that's the bigger miracle. That's a hard one. So what about us in 2019? In a recent Pew Research study, 77% of Americans said that the American dream meant having the freedom to choose to live however you want. When we have a need, we want it. Met immediately, when and how we want it. And many times, we get what we want immediately, how and when we want it. We want a Starbucks, we go get a Starbucks. I personally know where all the drive-throughs are, because I don't even want to have to get out of the car for my Starbucks. We want Amazon, we get us a package, we can get groceries to our door, we can get everything we want immediately, how and when we want it. And sometimes God's saying, come come with me, what you need is me, and it's not going to look like this immediate need met by your technology, or by the people around you, or by your job, or by money. Sometimes it's, you need me, and he puts us in a situation where we need him, and we need him every morning, and we need him every night, and we need his presence. God wants to teach us that his provision is much more than a choice and independence. It comes out of relationship. He wants us to go to him daily for what we need. We need to learn how to depend on him. And sometimes he'll take us into a wilderness that feels dry and scary and unfamiliar. So that we're like, I need you this morning, or I'm not going to get out of bed. I need you this morning, or I'm not going to make it through my day. I need you tonight, or I'm not going to sleep. And he puts us in this situation where we have to learn how to depend on him. And you know what we get? Looking, we get him. And people let me tell you his presence will sustain you through anything. And it is precious. And it is the greatest gift and the kindest gift he could ever give us. So, what do you want? Because God is providing his presence. And it's not something you earn. It's not something that you, that you work for. It's not about a formula, getting it right. It's about putting your hands out God, I need you right now. Let's look at scenario three. So they wander the desert at this point for two years. God's teaching them his commands, his laws. He's trying to create a community out of them. He's teaching them how to depend on him, that he is their provider. And they get to the promised land. Here it is, we're going into Cana. And they send 10 spies in. Or 12, sorry. And 12 spies come back. And two of them, they're like, you're not going to believe the size of the grapes they got in there. It's flowing with milk and honey. We got olive trees. We got grapes. We got grain. But 10 of them said, you're not going to believe the size of the giants in that land. There is no way we can go in there and take over. So God said, I guess they're not ready yet. I guess they're too scared. They're not ready. They haven't learned enough in the wilderness. So they end up going around that wilderness for another 38 years, a total of 40 years, until a whole generation dies off that had Egypt in them. And sometimes when God wants to get Egypt out of us, there's a whole part of us that we have to let go, that we have to set down, that we have to let die before we can get into the promised land. So see your wilderness as a gift because sometimes it's about dying to things. It's about letting things go so that we're ready for the promised land. Because if he had let them go in then, they would have collapsed under the weight of it. They weren't ready. So they started to wander. But then he tells them, all right, When you get to the promised land, here we're ready to go in. He said, observe, therefore, all the commands I have given you today so that you may have the strength to go in and take over the land that you're crossing the Jordan to possess so that you may live long in the land, swore to your ancestors to give them and their descendants a land flowing with milk and honey. He's like, okay, here it is, 40 years of wandering. We're going to go in this time and we're ready to go. And you're crossing to possess the land that he promised. The land you are entering to take over is not like the land of Egypt. From which you have come where you planted your seed and irrigated it by foot as in a vegetable garden. But the land you are crossing the Jordan to take possession of is a land of mountains and valleys that drinks rain from heaven. It is a land the Lord your God cares for. The eyes of the Lord your God are continually on it from the beginning of the year to its end. So if you faithfully obey the commands I'm giving you today to love the Lord your God and just serve him with all your heart, with all your soul, then I will send rain on your land in its season, both autumn and spring rains, so that you may gather in your grain new wine and olive oil. I will provide grass in the fields for your cattle, and you will eat and be satisfied. He's taking them from Egypt, delivering them out. He gets them ready in the wilderness, and now they're going into a completely different land than what they came out of. This is Egypt from the sky, like an aerial view, and you can see that green. See all that green? That's where they all lived. And so that's what the land was like there. When God took them into Israel, here's a a view of it. You can see there's fountains, there's desert. There's valleys. It's completely different. It's not consistent. Every area of it is different. It's got mountains. It's got valleys. It's got desert. It's got coastal land. It's got the Jordan River. It's, it, it, it's completely different. And when they stepped into this promised land, the manna stopped. Joshua tells us the manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year... They ate the produce of Cana. Cana. So God has taken them out of this. He doesn't, They don't need the manna anymore. They don't need the quail anymore because now they're going to a land where they're going to farm it and work together to produce. Look at this middle. The land you're entering to take over is not like the land of Egypt, but the land you're crossing to take possession of is a land of mountains and valleys that drink rain from heaven. In Egypt that they came out of, the social structure, life was monotonous and unbearable for a slave. They were cogs in a system. They had no choice to make bricks day after day after day. There was nothing about community. And God took them through the wilderness and created this, a people, a community. In God's kingdom, that he's taken them into the promised land, the social structure is, it's about relationship. God is now providing freedom. He gives them land that is varied and sustainable, still needing the blessing of rain. And they're free to partner with Him. They've been delivered, they've been led, and now God's saying, let's do this together. They are to subdue the earth as a community, as the people of God, some shepherding, some growing olives, some grain, and some wine. His provision is coming through the community and partnership with him. Look down here. What was the command to follow? To love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart. We no longer have this triangle hierarchy, but we have this relationship-based social structure where the whole point is to put God in the center and get as close as you can to him. And you get closer and closer to the center. And it's about relationship and working together and putting him at the center. Too often we see the world and our world as a zero-sum game. If it's to be, it's up to me. We feel alone in our responsibility. We don't see ourselves as part of a community working together, all providing for each other. Sometimes God, God's delivered us, we've gone through the desert, and then he puts us in this new job, or we get married, or we have that baby, or, or, or we get to a point where we're empty nesters, everybody's out, and we've got the whole house to ourselves, and it's this new promised land, um, and it's all ours, right? And, but we feel alone in it, we feel weighted by the responsibility of it sometimes, We wonder, are are we enough to handle this? Are we enough to be a good mom? Are we enough to be a good employee? Are we enough to own a business? Are, Are we enough to move into this new ministry? Are we enough? It's not just up to you. You are not alone in this. God sees us as his church his body, all using our gifts to express his love, to provide for one another. He wants us to partner with him and with each other. We are in this together. We are not alone. We are not bearing this weight. He has prepared you to where you are now. He has gotten you ready for this new season. He has created rhythms. Do you know they put the manna in, sorry, they put the manna in a jar inside the Ark of the Covenant when they built the tabernacle, which is where they worshipped. And so that manna never uh, rotted or disappeared. It stayed in there. But it was a reminder of the rhythms that they learned to go to God for everything. And then when they went into this part of responsibility and partnership, they still remembered that relationship that they needed of dependence. So let me ask you Again. What do you want? Because he is providing community for you. You're not in this new season alone. This psalm was written much later about this era. He said, I removed the burden from their shoulders. Their hands were set free from the basket. In your distress, you called and I rescued you. I answered you out of a thundercloud. I tested you at the waters of Meribah, Hear me, my people, and I will warn you, if you should only listen to me, Israel. You shall have no foreign God among you. You shall not worship any God other than me. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you up out of Egypt. Open wide your mouth, and I will fill it. That open wide means make room, enlarge space for him, and he will fill it. One summer, all three of our children traveled overseas at one point when they were in high school. And one summer, um, Kelsey was in Sierra Leone. And I was, let's just say a little anxious about her being over in Sierra Leone. This was before the Ebola outbreak and everything, but I was, I was a little anxious about it. And we, at the time, our deck was open. We had hanging plants. And for the one and only time, never happened before, never happened after, we had robins build a nest in the hanging basket on our deck. And when I would sit in my chair, they, were not, they wouldn't fly away. They'd just stay there. And I was able to see every day the father would bring food to the mother who was sitting on her eggs. And then later the mother would feed the baby birds and they would reach out with their mouth open And she would fill it. And God said to me, don't worry about Kels. I got this. I'm going to provide for you while you're sitting on your eggs, and I'm going to provide for her while she's over in Africa. Open wide your mouth, and he will fill it. So what do you want? What did you think about at the beginning Because God's providing deliverance for you. He's already working it out. God is providing his presence daily. And he's providing community for you. Open wide your mouth and he will fill it. Let's pray. And by the way, today is a prayer Sunday. So if if what you wanted is something that like stirred something in you and you want to pray with someone about it, um, they'd be happy to do that and if you have any questions you could text them to Mark's phone let's pray Father we thank you for your provision Lord we, yes we thank you for the for the details that you take care of and the provision to pay bills and, and the provision of a job and a family and, but Lord we thank you even more for your presence We thank you that you are with us and that you fill us morning and night. I pray that each one here would know that and see it and feel it. In Jesus' name, amen.